Seltzer Kings podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Uh-uh. No, 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 no. Don't be coming in here with that Heathcliff heresy, Gavin. In this studio, we worship Garfield. Yes. The following podcast contains profanity, food jokes, and tired comedy references. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When you incarnate the dark one in the form of an obese cat, what the hell were you thinking? I'm your host, Dave Bledsoe, and this is episode number 305. Sounds like someone has a case of the Mondays edition of the show, where we talk about the darkest, most powerful magic working in history and how it appears in the funny pages. Stay tuned. The What the Hell Are You Thinking podcast is brought to you by the Lumberg School of Management because somebody's going to need to work this weekend. Are you struggling to learn the art and science of middle management? Do you struggle with thoughts of being thought of as cool guy by your employees? Are you asking yourself, is this good for the company and not sure of the answer? Then you need the Lumberg School of Management. Our night and weekend courses will remove any residuals of personality or compassion that may exist and replace them with a flat monotone droning that inspires your underlings to work, work, work and ensures you get that fat bonus. The Lumberg School of Management. Every third Saturday is Hawaiian Shirt Day, so feel free if you want to wear one and some jeans. Okay? Thanks. Hey, guys. What's up, G? Want to go to Tchotchkes? Get some coffee? Oh, it's a little early. I, mean, I got to get out of here. I think I'm going to lose it. Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> <laughs> so can I get you gentlemen something more to drink or maybe something to nibble on some pizza shooters shrimp poppers or extreme fajitas just coffee okay sounds like a case of the Mondays <laughs> let me ask you something when you come in on Monday and you're not feeling real well does anyone ever say to you sounds like someone has a case of the Mondays no no man Shit, no, man. I believe you get your ass kicked saying something like that, man. It is a, uh, a regrettable truth of my childhood that I really liked Garfield. You sick fuck. I'm not proud of this, but there's something about that morbidly obese feline and his hapless sociopathic person that fucking amused the shit out of my sisters and I when we were kids. And looking back on it, God damn, there was something wrong with John Arbuckle. Dude was a total creepster. He was all the time making wildly inappropriate comments to his veterinarian, which speaking as someone who worked in the veterinary field, just don't. The doctor's standing there with your spasmodic fur monster trying to do an exam, which frequently involves shoving their fingers in their butthole. It's not the time to have some skeezed out single dude with way too many pets trying to put the moves on you. Come across like a perv, John. And every single one of us remember that time you drank dog cum. You sick fuck. 
Oh, sure, I know Jim Davis tried to play it off as a random cup of some kind of supplement just sitting there on the counter, but we know that was dog jizz. And I thought this was supposed to be a children's comic strip, Jim Davis. Still, my sister and I would read all the comic collections, play with our Garfield and Odie toys, and God forgive my sins, I, I used to entertain my little sister endlessly by doing a funny little Odie voice. I thought I knew you. We'd spend hours playing with my sister's stuffed Garfield toys. <laughs> I'd rather doubt that. <laughs> no, honestly, they were hers. I, I, didn't ha- I, I didn't have any, especially not Garfield. I didn't have any stuffed toys, especially not Garfield toys. Every single goddamn one of them was my little sister's toys. I would just be a good brother by occasionally, you know, when I wasn't doing cool manly stuff, playing with my little sister. Me thinks that of just too much. <laughs> Fuck you. You want to see pictures of my fucking castle, Grayskull? I will prove to you. Fine. Fine. Okay. Some of them might have been mine. But I was a child, for fuck's sakes. Ten years old. You can't judge me for what I did when I didn't even have pubic hair. Which, being a pale ginger, excuses me right up till I was about 16 years old. But nothing excuses the grim reality of Garfield's unspeakable presence in our universe. And it's high time someone, namely me, milked it for content in a podcast. And that time is now. Why am I talking about one of the most beloved syndicated comic strips in history? Two reasons, actually. Originally, I was going to talk about the Cleveland school shooter in 1979, but as I sat down to research it, I realized it was entirely too grim to hang a show on a single joke that I had in my head about her hating Mondays, just like Garfield. Good call. Good, good call. And the second is, I could reverse engineer the idea and blame Garfield for that particular darkness, and so much more. Really, Jay? And we're stuck with it now because the forward promos from the network are already out. Now, I couldn't begin to tell the tale of the darkness that is Garfield without telling you of his portal into this universe. New Jersey. No, much worse. Jim Davis. James Robert Davis, born July 28, 1945, in a small town in Fairmont, Indiana. And his love of cartooning came early. He was art editor at a school newspaper, which is a thing that used to exist in a physical form. And he drew his very first comics for said newspaper. He went on to attend Ball State University, where he studied the dark arts of business and art. And upon graduating, Davis began working, assisting Tom Ryan on the comic strip Tumbleweeds, which featured the folks of Grimy Gulch and the neighboring Poohawk tribe. Isn't that a little racist? Oh, more than a little, but for 1965, that's damn near woke. Don't worry if you don't remember Tumbleweeds. It existed in that vast wastelands of the funny pages that no one actually read. It somehow still continued to be published well into the 2000s. While working on Tumbleweeds, Jim began his first attempt to create his own strip, inexplicably, about bugs. And he called it Norm Nat. Published in the Pendleton Times newspaper, Davis's creation featured the titular Norm, a gnat, and a cast of characters including a slug, a villainous spider, and his wife, and a fruit fly whose joke was that he only had two weeks to live. He's a little cruel. Not as cruel as Lyman, a train that true Garfield heads will recognize and we'll, we'll address in detail soon, who was both bucktooth and insane. All of this is for the children. Norm never really took off, and according to Davis, in 20 years and still kicking Garfield's 20th anniversary collection, quote, when Davis attempted to sell it to a national comic strip syndicate, an editor told him, your art is good, your gags are great, but bugs... 
Nobody can relate to bugs, unquote. A statement that Gary Larson would go on to laugh maniacally over while swimming in a vault of gold coins like Scrooge McDuck. Now, a disappointed Jim Davis turned to his training in the Eldridge Arts for Guidance. On the first new moon after the winter solstice, he led a yearling lamb to the crossroads in a cornfield in Indiana. There, he lit candles rendered from human fat at each of the cardinal points of the compass and began chanting the names of the faceless ancients before slitting the throat of the yearling, quenching each candle in turn with the gouts of blood from the yearling's throat as it bleeded out its death throes, and in the husk of last year's corn, two glowing eyes appeared, and in a sepulchral voice, it moaned, Look to the shards. Did that really happen? All I can say is you don't know for sure that it didn't. So Jim Davis began searching for the form in which his tulpa would best succeed, and he did this by examining what was popular in the funny pages. He studied peanuts and saw how Charles Schultz had created a long-lasting money machine and began to ponder how he could do the same. From an interview in the Washington Post in 1982, quote, It's essentially a formula. I noticed dog strips are doing well, and I knew an animal strip would be strong. People aren't threatened by an animal. They have a lot of latitude. Having watched the success of Peanut's property over the years and seen what was happening with the Muppets, I knew that that sort of thing could happen with a comic strip, and primarily an animal, again. Snoopy is very popular in licensing. Charlie Brown is not. I thought I had a lot of time to prepare, to get established, to let the strip mature, unquote. So in 1976, Jim Davis began his great ritual, the Garfield working. Using ink infused with the blood of an innocent, he created a large feline creature who dominated his hapless human with mental telepathy. He never spoke directly to John Arbuckle, a thinly veiled Jim Davis, and yet he forced him to comply with his vast appetites. You think it is some accident that lasagna is the food of choice for Garfield? A food that, when served, resembles the viscera and blood of an aborted fetus? Why? Think of that the next time you order lasagna. Garfield would torment his minions and constantly bemoan his state in the physical world as he was, in fact, a trapped spirit of the netherworld now locked in a two-dimensional tulpa to feed the lust for wealth and power of one Jim Davis. Oh, it only took two years for the strip, then called John, to be picked up by United Feature Syndicates for national dis distribution, and so the Garfield working elevated to the next level. Davis freely admitted from the beginning that his creation was not an artistic one, unless, of course, you mean the dark arts, but a formula, a ritual to make money. And in the early years of the working, Davis's crude comic style dominated the strip. Harsh lines and caricatures of humans in the, until the power he invoked began to pay off. He was able to hire people to come in and create the physical representations with ink and paper of his diabolic servant. Are you sure about all this? We can't be sure of anything in this world, but these are the best explanations I can come up with. Quoting from Wikipedia, quote, the strip underwent stylistic changes, evolving from the style of the 76 to 83 strips 
to a more cartoonish look from 1984 onward. This change mainly affected Garfield's design, which underwent a, quote, Darwinian evolution, unquote, in which he began walking on his hind legs, slimmed down, and stopped looking through squinty little eyes. His evolution, according to Davis, was to make it easier to push Odie off the table or to reach for a piece of pie, unquote. That is some dark shit. The entity we know as Garfield quickly began to expand its influence on our world as he spread into each newspaper carrying the strip. Then more and more people felt his hand on their souls with a steady, insistent demand to consume more and more Garfield. Within three years of its first syndication, it was appearing in over 850 papers and accumulating over $15 million in merchandising. You think that happens without invoking some truly sinister powers? Well, I've got an amulet to defend you against demons to sell you, my friend. And this was only the beginning of the Garfield working. Only the beginning! Look, Dave. I can see you're really upset about this. I honestly think you ought to sit down calmly, take a stress pill, and think things over. Explain 12 prime time specials between 1982 and 1991. You can't do it. By 2013, Garfield holds the world's record for the most syndicated comics, appearing in 2,580 papers. And such power loose to the world cannot help but have consequences, and it didn't take long for the first of them to manifest. Part of the canon of Garfield is his inexplicable hatred of Mondays. I hate Mondays. Garfield is a cat. He doesn't have a job. He doesn't attend school. Indeed, a Monday for Garfield is fundamentally no different than any other day of week, yet Garfield loathes them. Yeah, he do. According to Jim Davis in a Huffington Post article from 2014, quote, Garfield does not have a job, Garfield does not go to school, and every day is the same. Nevertheless, every Monday is just a reminder that his life was the same old, same old cycling again. And for some reason, even though his life was pretty much the same every day, on Monday specifically, awful things tend to happen to him physically, unquote. But what if I told you, pod friends, that such a thing is a part of ritual magic? A manifestation such as Garfield requires a tether to this reality, a common link to the people of this world that reinforces their need to believe in him. I don't care what you say, you need help. And to make that link required a blood sacrifice, which is why barely six months after his first syndication, 16-year-old Barbara Spencer picked up a rifle, and killed two people and wounded eight children. When asked why she did it, Spencer replied, I don't like Mondays. This livens up the day. I can't believe you just went there. What? 
I said I wouldn't do a whole show about it because it was too dark. I never said anything about not using the joke. And I'm not the only one to notice the dark power flowing throughout the Garfield working. Some of you olds might remember a cat by the name of Lyman. Never heard of him. No, you probably haven't. You want to know why? Because John Arbuckle killed him. We done here? No, we are not done here. Lyman, as you will recall, was first an insane character in Davis's original strip, but then returned as John Arbuckle's roommate in Garfield. He was the owner of Odie, Garfield's mindless minion. Then, suddenly, without explanation or indeed ever a reference to him ever existing, Lyman is just gone. It would be years later that we would discover what happened to the hapless Lyman. From a 2009 blog post on Nidorama.com, quote, Eagle-eyed fans also spot him in Garfield's Halloween game Scary Adventure Hunt and Scary Adventure Hunt 2. In the first one, Lyman can be found chained to a wall in a basement, and in the sequel, his head turns up in an oven. Jim Davis hinted at Lyman's untimely demise once. When asked what happened to John's roommate, Davis replied, quote, don't look in John's basement, unquote. Oh, <laughs> sure. It was laughed off as a joke later when Davis claimed that Lyman went to Africa to become a wildlife photographer or some such bullshit. But we all know the truth. Indeed, the entire story of how John Arbuckle came to possess Odie the dog has been rewritten constantly throughout the lifetime of the working so as to continually muddy the story and disguise the fact that John Arbuckle brutally murdered and ate his roommate Lyman. And since Jim Davis has acknowledged that John Arbuckle is but a thinly veiled reference to Jim Davis, ergo, can we safely assume that Jim Davis has consumed and ate the flesh of men? Maybe. But the part about Lyman, those are the facts of the case, and they are undisputed. Oh, I know you all think I'm crazy, that I'm making this up as a funny story for the podcast, but you need to listen to me when I tell you this is not a joke. This is dark magic in its highest form, and it is very, very real. If you doubt me, then let Jim Davis himself tell you in his 1984 book called Garfield, His Nine Lives. Or better yet, let me let Peter Griffin explain it to you. Speaking of which, you want to read something seriously messed up? Go, go out and pick up Garfield, His Nine Lives. An absolutely bizarre, fucked up piece of fiction. Half of them aren't funny. They're just artsy, scary, and disturbing. Why did you do Garfield, His Nine Lives, Jim Davis? Why, why did you do that dark, freaky one where Garfield kills that old woman? You, you want to see a picture? Look at this. This is an actual picture from the book. Hey, nice to see you, Garfield. What's the matter? You a little agitated? About to commit murder? Come on, Jim. Your job is to give us yucks. A job you do damn well, make no mistake. That's why old Peter's giving you a get-out-of-jail-free card on this one. But I don't want to see another one of those. All right, because it scared the bejesus out of me, and I had to sleep with my mother for a week. I am quite finished. Everything Seth MacFarlane, as Peter Griffith said, about that book is true. You can still buy it, and you can read it for yourself. Or how about this? From the blog Horrorbound.net in 2019, quote, 
Further investigations took me back to Jim Davis's doorstep in his book, Garfield, His Nine Lives. Jim Davis brings in a variety of guest authors and artists to tell a series of stories featuring Garfield throughout the ages through his nine lives. And while I can appreciate the objective, many of these interpretations of Garfield fall far from the source material. Davis opens the book by describing a scenario where God himself is instructing a team in creations of creatures specifically cats. When met with protestations over giving them nine lives, God insinuates that he himself is orange and feline and that Garfield is his avatar. And it only gets weirder from there. This idea of Garfield as God, an avatar of God, some sort of eternal being is certainly an interesting one, unquote. And you know what? It's even possible that Jim Davis himself finally recognized the terrible price of his pact with the outer dark was taking on the world and tried to use magic to close the portal that allowed this madness to feed his creation. From RetroJunk.com, quote, One storyline which ran the week before Halloween in 1989 is unique among Garfield strips in that it is not meant to be humorous. It depicts Garfield awakening in a future in which the house is abandoned and he no longer exists. In tone and imagery, the storyline for this series of strips is very similar to the animation segment for Felice Trieste uh, from Allegro Non Troppo, which depicts a ghostly cat roaming around the ruins of a home it once inhabited. The strips have caused many fans to speculate that Garfield is currently starving in an abandoned house and all of the series occurring after the comics in question were insane hallucinations by the cat as he tries to keep alive, yet author Jim Davis is reportedly to have actually laughed loudly when confronted with this. In Garfield's 20th anniversary collection in which the strips were reprinted, Jim Davis discusses the genesis for this role of strips. His caption in its entirety states, during a writing session for Halloween week, I got the idea that this decidedly different series of strips. I wanted to scare people. And what do people fear most? Why being alone? Why carried out the concept to its logical conclusions and got a lot of responses from the readers that read, so the question is, is Garfield alive or did he slowly starve to death, unquote? Did Jim Davis try and fail to kill his horrible creation and finally end the Garfield working in 1989? We may never know. But what we do know is Garfield is now all-powerful and far beyond the control of his creator, who continues to draw the strip before handing it off to his acolytes for enhancement and enchantment before being released into the world, Davis is tremendously wealthy. And even now, the fat orange entity is ubiquitous in our society. It spans the world as the largest comic franchise ever creator, ever created, even dwarfing his progenitor peanuts. And each new generation is slowly indoctrinated with the feral magics of the Garfield working through innocuous compilations of the work and Hollywood's productions of Garfield movies, including one scheduled for this very year. The fell spirit created to fuel Jim Davis's unholy lust for fame and fortune now exists beyond his control, and the dark ripples of that magic spill constantly into the physical world from the void beyond, and it will never, ever close. We exist in the creation of the Garfield working, and our souls are damned to its dominion for as long as it exists, and it will exist forever. I hate to brag, but it took a brilliant mind to figure that gag out.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That is it for our show this week. You know, every time you folks think I've gone as deep as I can go, I find a way to dig just a little bit below your expectations. I mean, I just spent 20-odd minutes outright saying that Jim Davis, beloved creator of Garfield, is a practitioner of dark arts, and that Garfield is, in fact, a demonic presence in our universe, and you stuck with me all the way to the end. Did you think I was going to somehow bring the nose up on it? Y'all even know me? And at the same time, you really have to give me credit because this really did start out as a show about a school shooting. And whatever you think about making the one joke about it, can you imagine how bad the whole show would have been? It's like I want to get canceled or something. You know what? I think it's because you secretly hate Garfield as much as I do. Or at least a little bit. And speaking of hating something a little bit, rate and review this show. It helps others find the show and hate you a little bit for bringing my inner darkness into their lives. All of my nihilistic impulses are on display on the so shit the hell underscore podcast on Twitter and the show name on Facebook. You can help me embrace my deeper darkness by donating to the show on Patreon at What The Hell Podcast. One of the reasons you're getting the shorter show this week is because we released our Patreon exclusive about Richard McCoy, and you can hear that exclusively on Patreon starting at $1. All of our sinister workings can be found at whatthehellpodcast.com and we are a proud coven member of the Seltzer Kings podcast who always perform our ritual skyclad. So for me, Dave, do unholy one Garfield, we beseech your infernal blessing these day. Let's so, producer, you know, now that I think about it, I've always rather preferred Heathcliff, Gavin, and all the fictional normals we've mailed to Abu Dhabi. We want to say that we can see no reason because there is no reason. And what reason do you need to be shown when you look at Garfield's cold, dead eyes staring back at you? And we'll see you all next week. What the Hell Were You Thinking stars Dave Bledsoe and features Gavin St. James and several fictional minions. The show is produced by Kimberly Steele and a part of the Seltzer Kings Podcast Network. You can find more information on the show on their website, whatthehellpodcast.com, or on Twitter at thehell underscore podcast, or on Facebook as What the Hell Podcast. Thanks for listening. I have no ending for this, so I take a small bow. Seltzer Kings Podcasts.